Now, if you're around fellowship uh, a while, you hear a word that we use quite often called gospel. And, and the gospel gets its name, the gospel, from the Greek word, which means good news, because the gospel is good news. Um, the fact that Jesus died for your sins to, to put together what somebody else separated, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and created this separation between God and man. And you can tell because in the, in, in the biblical event in Genesis where Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were walking with God and talking with God. And then, and then once they did what God asked them not to do, there was this separation and they had to leave the garden. And it created this separation all the way through history. And that's why if you read, if you read the Old Testament, it's always God is there and we are here. Even in the temple that they built to worship God, there was this room that was the very most holy place, so holy that the high priest could only enter once a year. And there was this, this huge curtain that separated that place from the place where everybody worshiped because the presence of God was separated from the people of God. He was near, but not completely present. And the gospel, the good news, is that because of what Jesus did, God is present with us. And not just when we gather to worship Jesus, but because of what Jesus did, God is with us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, daytime, nighttime. We have this abiding relationship with God. And the good news is that it's not based on you. It's not based on, on your performance. It's not based on your pretending. It is solely and wholly based on what Jesus did. That's the good news of the gospel. But here's the deal. Not everyone thinks that this good news is really good news. When I did missions work in Russia, I was a missionary for five years and worked in Russia for a part of that. And, and, and the, the work that I did, we would take short-term trips. And so, so we would work with international pastors, and an international pastor would, would, uh, would, would find communities where there was no evangelical influence, and he would train a pastor to go live in that community. And what we would do is we would send a team of Americans into that community and basically do door-to-door -door evangelism. So when people uh, heard the gospel and said yes to Jesus, we could say, hey, there's a new home church starting up right down the street, and they will, they will teach you what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so it was a way to, to plant churches overseas. And Russia was one of those places where we would go and there would be this great response to the gospel, to the good news of the gospel. And so a lot of times our team would get on a plane and head home and, and our hearts were full of what we saw God do and, and it was incredible. But what we learned after being there quite a few times is that the experience that we had on the plane home wasn't necessarily the experience of the Russians that we left behind uh, to start this new church. Because the, the official church uh, in, 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 in Russia is the Russian Orthodox Church. Now, I'm about to make a very sweeping, generalizing, stereotypical statement about the Russian Orthodox Church, which may not be true of every Russian Orthodox Church, but for the five years that I worked in Russia, it was true of every Russian Orthodox Church that I had interaction with. And it was this, that in the Russian Orthodox Church, the priest that, that, that lead that denomination, the priests that lead even that local expression of the Russian Orthodox Church, their concern was more about the power they held than the praise and worship of God. 
Their concern was more about people following rules about religion than entering into a relationship with God. And so when we would go there and we would share the good news of the gospel, they didn't like the gospel that we shared. And here's how I know, because we were told what happened after we left. And this wasn't just in one city, this was in many cities that we worked in. We would hop on a plane and head home. The Russian Orthodox Church and members of that church and leaders in that church would go to every house that we visited. Every flat that we visited, they would go. Which is a little scary because it meant that they were watching us. And they would ask, who talked to an American in this house? And so the people would come and they'd say, what did they tell you? And here's the beauty of this is that these brand new believers would share the gospel with these leaders of the Russian Orthodox Church. And they'd say they pointed out these scriptures, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself, but it is the gift of God. And they would point these these Russian Orthodox priests to these passages, and, and they would share the good news of the gospel with them, but what they would hear back from them is that's actually not Good news. That's actually not the gospel. What they shared with you, they were told, is that that's about being American. That's about being Western, not about being Eastern. If you want to be a Christian, you have to be in the Russian Orthodox Church and follow the rules of the Russian Orthodox Church. And if the, that message didn't work, they would begin to attack the messengers. And, and if people said, no, this is what the Bible says, then they'd say, well, you can't trust the Bible they gave you because we would give them New Testaments and we'd give them Bibles translated in, in Russian. And they'd say, you can't trust that Bible. Do you know what those Americans do? This is what they'd tell them. They'd say, those Americans, they kill their babies. You can't trust them. See, if you can't attack the message, you attack the messenger. He said, to be right with God, you have to stay in the Russian Orthodox Church and you have to live by our rules. You see, what they did is they would take the gospel and they would change it to where it wasn't the gospel at all. Because you see, the gospel isn't good news if you think you have to be good enough to earn God's love for God to pay attention to you, for God to be present with you. If that's the gospel, if, if you have a gospel of good enough, that's, that's not good news. And that's what they did. They took this gospel and changed it and they, and they tried to take the work that God did in the hearts and souls of those Russians and distort it to something that it, that it wasn't. And y'all, this happens all the time. Not only does it happen in Russia, it happens here in America. Not only does it happen here in America, this is where it gets really scary It happens in our own hearts and it happens in our own heads all the time. John Calvin rightly said this. He said that man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. That our nature is to create our own little religions to where we can be good enough to have God like us. Those are called idols. That as long as I do this, God will like me. As long as I do this, I'll know that God loves me. 
And oftentimes we may believe the gospel, but there are times where these little voices come into our souls and say, you know what, that good news isn't quite good enough. You need to do more to make God happy with you. You need to do something different to make God happy with you. You need a different job to make God happy with you. You've got to stop this behavior so God will love you. You've got to start this behavior so God will love you. Well, today what we're going to see and what Paul is going to help us to see is this. That if the gospel isn't good news, guess what? It's not the gospel. If the gospel isn't good news, and I would even say this, if the gospel doesn't sound too good to be true, it's not the gospel. Because our gospel is good news. Do you know how they train folks to spot counterfeit money? They don't train them on the counterfeits. You know why? Because there could be thousands of ways to make counterfeit money. I suggest none of them, but there could be thousands of ways to make counterfeit money. The way they train people to know the difference between a real dollar and a fake dollar is they train them on what a real dollar looks like, what a real dollar feels like. They don't even even let them uh, use the marker that you see when you go to the store. Like those aren't very effective. They train them on what a real dollar looks like, what a real $5 looks like, what a real $10 bill looks like. Because they know, if they know what the real thing looks like, they can identify any type of counterfeit that comes across their path. You see, it doesn't matter if, if, if it comes from a Russian Orthodox priest, if it comes from American culture, it doesn't matter if it's a whisper in your own heart and soul. If it is counterfeit to the gospel, if it's not good news, then it's not the gospel at all. Because today we're gonna see the gospel really is good news. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. You can turn there. It's on page 817 if you use the Bible that's in front of you. Um, or like Carol said, we're on the Bible app. Um, if, you, if you have the Bible app, you can just open it, click under events, and Fellowship Asheville is there, and all of our announcements are there. The text for today is there. There's places you can take notes. There's even questions to consider afterwards. So, so uh, feel free to, to do that. Now, We're continuing in our series called Eclipse as we work our way through this book in Philippians. Because what we're seeing time and time again is this book about Philippians has one main theme. Church, what is the theme of Philippians? It's one word, begins with a J, ends with a Y, has an O in the middle. What is it? Joy. Yes, yes. Philippians is about joy. But here's what Paul is writing to this Philippian church. And, And here's why we're calling this Eclipse. Because This joy that's available to us in the Lord is available to us all the time, and yet there are these little things in our lives and little things in our souls that get in the way, and it's like an eclipse. And since y'all are new here, I'll I'll kind of explain this. Uh, Y'all have heard it plenty of times, but, but an eclipse is this crazy phenomenon where something really small dims the light of something huge, right? If 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 the moon was the size of my fist and the sun was the size of this entire back wall, this is what an eclipse does. Depending on where you are, this little moon dims the light of that huge sun. That's crazy, y'all, that something that small could cover up the light of something that big. That's what happens in our souls when we experience the joy of the Lord. Something small can dim the light of something huge. 
And as we've worked our way through this series, we're seeing that these little things that get in the way can just as easily get out of the way by a change in perspective. Because where you are is determines what you see. And if you change where you are, you change what you see. If you're in the path of an eclipse, you get out of the path of the eclipse and the sun looks normal. The joy of the Lord is the same way. It's always available to us. And when we get that eclipse out of the way by identifying it and calling it what it is and confess and repent if we need to or just changing the way we think and behave, we get to experience the full joy of the Lord. And today, we're gonna see a very particular eclipse because today, we're gonna see what happens when you think you're good enough to not need the gospel. When you think you can live by rules instead of by faith. And y'all, all of us do it. Like John Calvin said, our hearts are perpetual idol factories. But I'm gonna tell you right now, there's a group of you in here who do it much easier than the others. And here's how I'm gonna test who you are because I'm one of you. How many of you, and feel free to glory in this for right now, how many of you notice there's a light bulb out behind me and it's all you've been able to focus on since you walked in? <laughs> you, my people, are perfectionist, right? We can walk into a room and immediately see what's wrong. Now, half of you are like, there's a light bulb out? Where is there a light bulb out? It, this sermon still applies to you. You just gotta work a little harder to get to it, all right? But for those of us who notice the light bubbles out, that's what we do. We walk into a room and we see what's wrong. We do that with our own souls as well. We can spot immediately what's wrong. And when we, when we try and fix it, we create rules and idols. By the way, for those of you who still can't figure it out, it's that one right there. <laughs> All right, some of you are like, I still don't, I don't see it. Yep, 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 it's right there. Well, let's, let's dive in and see, and see the, the, the real good news of the gospel, because that's what Paul's gonna show us. Look at chapter three, verse one. He says, finally, my brothers. What I love about this, Paul is such a preacher. He says, finally, and we're only halfway through the book, right? He's nowhere near done, but he just wants you to think he is. I love that. I, it, finally, my brothers. Look at this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. In other words, he's going to talk about joy again. There it is. It's this theme. And, and he's talked about it before, apparently, with them, because what we're going to see is a common problem that ran through the new church, the ancient church, and it's a common problem that runs through our own hearts, too. And so he certainly doesn't mind repeating himself. And he's going to show what can eclipse that joy, because he's reminding them, have joy. Look at verse 2. And this is the eclipse. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who manipulate the flesh. You see, Paul experienced a lot of what I experienced in Russia. What Paul would do is he would, he was this ancient church planter, right? He, he would go into a, a place where there was, where the gospel wasn't, and he would share the gospel, and he'd raise up leaders and raise up elders, and when the church was, was good, he would move on to another city and do the same thing. And when he left, there was this group of people called the Judaizers that would come in. And what they would do is they would infiltrate this new church and they'd be like, oh yeah, you're right, this gospel is good news. But it's not completely good news. Because if you remember, Jesus was Jewish, right? Everybody on board is, hey, he was Jewish. And so that means you gotta be Jewish like Jesus was to really live out the gospel. Which means these Judaizers were telling them, you've got to live out the dietary restrictions and 
guys, you've got to be circumcised. Now, you can imagine that wasn't good news to everybody in the room, right? Because not everybody in these new churches was already Jewish. They were Gentiles, which means they came from every, na- every race and tribe and tongue. And so this, these Judaizers were doing exactly what this Russian Orthodox church did. And they were coming through and they were telling people this gospel isn't really good news. And, and Paul is warning them, look out for anybody that's adding to the gospel. And so now what he's going to do is he's going to show what the real gospel is, what the real good news is, just like a real dollar bill so they can identify any counterfeit because the Judaizers have always been doing this. Their names have just changed throughout history. There's always been a group of people that have said the gospel isn't good enough. And Paul's gonna show us actually it is. There's no other good news available to us. Look at verse three. He says, for we are the circumcision. Now, he's using a little play on words. In the Jewish faith, uh, uh, male babies would be circumcised on the eighth day so that there would be this physical reminder as they grew up and as they got married and they had kids that there was a promise to be fulfilled, that there was a promise they were waiting for, that God was going to send the savior of the world through the lineage of Abraham, through the nation of Israel to to, to rule over Israel, to to save the nation and to save their world, the world from sins. And that that was this physical reminder that a savior, that they were waiting on a savior. And what Paul is doing is he's saying, listen, listen, Our Savior has been here. The promise has been fulfilled. And the church is now the evidence that that promise has been fulfilled. That's why he says we are the circumcision because the church is now the living symbol of the fact that Jesus has come, that God has sent his Savior. And see, and it's here we see our first good news of the gospel, the first characteristic of the gospel is this, that the gospel is based on God's finished promise, that there is no other promise that we're waiting for, right? The Savior has come, and this is really good news, that he was born and lived and died on a cross and was raised with the power of the resurrection just to show that everything he did and everything he said was true, because when somebody rises from the dead, you pay attention to them, right? And so his resurrection showed that the promise had been fulfilled and that is good news. And look at what else this fulfilled promise means. In verse three, it says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus. You see, here's what happens when, when a church gets together based on the finished promise of God that the good news of the gospel is good news. There is worship. But notice this worship is not to the spirit of God. It is by the spirit of God. Other translations say in the spirit of God. You see, with the gospel, the, 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 the real gospel, the good news is that God is not distant. When we worship He is present and he is filling us when we worship. And not just when we worship here, but when we worship at home, when we worship in our way to school, when we worship in our way to work, when we we raise the gaze of our soul to heaven, Jesus is always present. God is always present with us. He is present and filling us. And notice it's in Christ because we are together and not separate. 
And the good news of the gospel is that the gospel puts us with God. Now, I talked about I talked about in the beginning that this temple that, that was built, that there was, this, there was this curtain that separated the holy place from the people of God, that separated the presence of God from the people of God. And when Jesus died on the cross, something happened in that temple. Because when Jesus died on the cross and he uttered his last breath, the payment was paid for our sin. The debt was paid. And what happened is that curtain ripped so, so the God that was distant from the people of God, the God that wasn't present with the people of God, he was near, but he wasn't present. When that debt was paid for our sin, those things that separate us from God, that curtain tore, and who remembers which direction it tore? It tore from the top to the bottom to show that it wasn't some joker standing there with scissors at the bottom of the curtain ripping it. It was God tearing it from the top to the bottom to show that now, there is no separation between God and his people. That because of what Jesus did, we are present with God and God is present with us. And that is good news. Because the gospel puts us with God, not separate from him. Look, look at the other good news of the gospel in the rest of verse three. It says, I put no confidence in the flesh, and this is what Paul means by this, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And what Paul's doing here is he's saying, listen, if there was a way to be right by God, by what I did, by following the rules, I did it. And actually, there was this thought that you could be good enough in the Jewish faith. It's why the rich young ruler, when he's interacting with Jesus, and says, what must I do to be saved? And, and Jesus tells him, follow the commandments. He goes, I do, I got this. We look at that and we think that's arrogant. In the Jewish mind, he truly believed he was good enough to be declared right by God. Paul believed this. He believed his parents did what they should do. They circumcised him on the eighth day. They did everything right. He did everything right. According to custom, he was good enough to have a right standing with God. But see, what Paul learned is that his good work can't create the good news of the gospel. Because look at what it did is this in verse 7. It says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, Paul considered all his good works, all his great earnings, all the rules that he followed in the Jewish rule book, all of his good jobs. And he said, compared to Christ, they are nothing. Now, here's what we see all the time, not, 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 not in a spiritual way, but in a funny way. We see it online. We see the, the mom who, who sees these cute cupcakes on Pinterest, right? They're, they're the cookie monster, right? And, 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 and somebody had made these, these chocolate cupcakes, and it's this, this cute little cookie monster on top, and it has these homemade chocolate chip cookies sticking out of his mouth and, and perfectly crumbled cookies around it. And, and this mom thinks, I can do that. This would be perfect for my kid's three-year-old birthday party. And then she tries, All right? And then she, in humility slash humiliation, posts her version 
right? And the blue icing is dripping off of the cupcakes. The chips ahoy that she bought don't crumble cutely like the handmade chocolate chip cookies. And there's one phrase that gets the hashtag after that. What is it? Nailed it. (laughs) Right? You see, Paul is saying, if you would have asked me before I met Jesus, I would have told you I nailed it. I am good enough to stand in the presence of God. But when I met Jesus and I see his life and I see his standard, all of a sudden, my nailed it looks like a hashtag nailed it, right? It doesn't look anywhere near good enough. As a matter of fact, the word that he uses is rubbish. What he's saying is that that spiritual resume that he just shared is like the stuff you throw out of your house. Y'all, last night we made fish at our house last night. And I'm gonna tell you, it was really good. It was really good. What wasn't really good was the trash this morning. I came out of our bedroom and I thought something had died in our house because technically it had. But I took that trash bag and threw it out into the dumpster at our house because that's rubbish. Paul's saying his best effort, his best efforts generationally, his parents did a good job. He did a good job. All that's worthy of is throwing it in a trash can and taking it out compared to what Jesus did. And y'all, The good news of the gospel is that our good work isn't what makes the good news. See, the gospel doesn't need our good work. Jesus in Matthew 16 said, to lose your life or to find your life, you have to lose it. To find your life, you have to lose it. You have to throw away your good efforts. You have to throw away your your rule following. And y'all, this is really good news. You can't be good enough to earn God's love. I heard a female Bible teacher once share this story about being with one of her grandchildren. So it was her daughter and the grandbaby there, and there was a bunch of other women around. And I can't remember what they were doing, but, but all these women were having these conversations with, with each other, and it was great. And then the baby realized, if, if I can make cute noises, I get attention. And so this baby would clap and giggle and ooh and all. And all of a sudden, all these women would stop their conversations and go, oh my gosh, aren't you the cutest thing? And they would squeeze its cheeks and tickle its toes and, and give it all this love and attention. And then they'd go back to their conversation. So the baby would goo, ooh, and ah, and giggle, and clap, and get their attention. Oh my gosh, aren't you the cutest thing? And then the baby would get all this attention, and relish in this attention, and love it. The baby loved getting this attention, but you know what the adults would do? Go back to their conversations again. And then the baby would ooh, and ah, and clap, and laugh, and do whatever it could to get their attention, and, and the adults would give her attention again, and tickle the toes and squeeze those little, those little chubby legs, you know, that babies get and, and all this stuff and just love on this baby. Yes, just like that. Yeah, that's right, just like that. And then all of a sudden, the adults started going back to attention again and the baby had had it. Because that scenario is great fun for everybody except who? The baby. That baby was exhausted. And finally, when the adults looked away for the last time, that baby lost its ever-loving mind and threw a temper tantrum because it was done. You see, if the gospel is based on your good works, if, if the ability to make your relationship with God right is based on what you do, you are like the baby. 
You will entertain and perform and pretend for a while, but eventually you will lose your mind and you will throw a temper tantrum like a little baby because it's exhausting to live that way. And the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to. That God's loving and encouraging and convicting attention isn't based on our good behavior or our deterred bad behavior. That God's attention to you and to me is based on what Jesus did. That's the good news. And look at what this good news of the gospel results in. Verse 9. It says, And be found... In him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Y'all, that's a big statement for Paul to say because just a few verses ago and earlier in his life, he would have said, actually, my righteousness does come from the law. My righteousness comes from being good enough and not being bad enough. But now he's saying, my righteousness doesn't come from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, that's what he's saying. He's saying, it's no longer me that can declare my relationship with God right because that's the problem. If you're creating these rules to follow, all of a sudden you're looking at God and saying, I'm good, I think you're good, or we're good, right? That's not the way it works with God. He's the only one that's always right. He's the only one that can look at you and declare the relationship right. And when your faith is in Jesus, like Paul said, When your faith is in Jesus, he looks and he sees his son, and that's good news because the gospel makes the relationship with God right. You see, the theological term for that is is righteousness, that God declares you as righteous. The relationship has been restored. You don't have to do anything. It's not based on your behavior. It's based on what Christ has done. That's good news. Look at verse 10, because this is what happens after that. After the relationship has been declared right, Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Look at these words, to know and share and become. You see, these are words of growth. It's, 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 it's the theological term is sanctification. It's where when you say yes to Jesus and you become a Christ follower, you are declared a saint by God which means your identity is in Jesus, not in yourself anymore, not in in what you do anymore, but it's in what Jesus has done, right? That's your identity. The problem is your behavior doesn't match that yet. I had this illustration uh, that I'll do some other time, but I'll tell you about it. If I were to take a wire and stick it in a glass bottle, like a good Coke bottle, those good ones that the, you know, the Mexican Coke where it's real sugar and it's so good. If you were to empty the Coke out, drink it, and, and, and stick a wire in there, it would, the wire would take the shape of that glass bottle, right? Well, when you say yes to Jesus, it's like that glass bottle is shattered, but that wire is still the shape of that glass bottle. In sanctification, your spiritual growth is where God slowly but surely stretches that wire out to be in the shape that it was in before, the way that it was intended to be. You see, that sanctification, and that sanctification isn't based on what you earn. Now, there's effort to it, and we'll talk about that next week. But that sanctification is based on what Jesus did. See the words resurrection and sufferings and death. This described what Jesus does for you and me, and that's what makes our relationship with God grow. And that's the good news of the gospel is that the gospel makes our relationship with God progressive, that the faith and trust that you have today hopefully is deeper than it was a year ago, 
because you've grown in your relationship. You understand the gospel deeper today than you did a year ago, and you'll understand it deeper a year from now than you do today. Here's what's crazy. When we get to heaven, we're gonna continue to learn about the wide, the, the, the breadth and the depth of God. We're gonna continue to learn about the gospel, that this idea of our relationship and understanding being progressive isn't just an earthly experience, it is an eternal experience. And we get to taste a little bit of it while we walk here on the earth because of what Jesus did. You see, we grow in this relationship and the gospel is what makes this possible. And because of what Jesus did, it makes our continual growth possible. Look at verse 11. It says, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now what Paul's looking to here is he's looking to the final day when he closes his eyes and he opens them again in heaven. And that is called glorification. Because one day, all of us are gonna close our eyes in death. And we will open our eyes and God will be there. No matter what religion you're coming from, no matter what faith you're coming from, God will be there. The question is, what happens next? Has Jesus paid the price for your sin? That's what Paul's talking about. That's the question that Paul is asking. Is your faith in Jesus or are you gonna stand there and say, I tried to be good enough. I did my best. Well, good luck with that because you're standing before a perfect and holy God. Only God can make your best good enough and he did that in Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying, that our gospel makes our relationship with God final, right? The Jesus you worship today will be the Jesus that ushers you into heaven. That's our gospel. That is good news. Now, this message is very appropriate today for two reasons. One, because we're about to take communion. And if coming to this, this table today isn't good news for you, then I invite you to let it be good news. Because when you come to this table today, what you are doing is you are admitting that you aren't good enough. You are admitting that you can't meet the standards. You are admitting that Jesus has and that that is good news. And for some of you, if you come to this table, if this is your first time to take communion, it is your first time to say yes to Jesus. Now, we didn't talk about that term. That term is called salvation. And salvation is when you realize that Jesus did die and was resurrected from the dead to do exactly what he said he was going to do and to make the relationship with God right again. And if that is you, you coming to this table is saying yes to that Jesus. It's saying yes to a good and right in, in personal relationship with the God who loves you and the God who made you. Many of you in this room have already said yes to Jesus. For you, it is a reminder, your heart and your mind is still a perpetual factory of idols. And this is the place that you come to get reminded that because of Jesus and his good news, God is present with you all the time, 
every day. You can't do anything good enough to garner more of his attention. And y'all listen to this. You can't do anything bad enough to turn his gaze away from you. He is always present. And because of this, what this table represents, you can go to him any time.